to encourage you to leave that uh, passage of scripture open. We're going to be working just verse by verse through that this morning. I'm going to pray for you in a second, but you can pray for me because I've had a dreadful week. And I've had a dreadful week because I've spent the week studying this passage. And um, I've not only been studying this passage, but the multitudinous misapplications of this passage. So I've spent a lot of this week watching YouTube videos of televangelists who, like, I don't know if this is a gift of discernment thing, but I just felt like I was watching Satan on my computer, right? And I spent most of the week doing that. So um, 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 I said to Simon earlier this morning, this could be the week that I dropped the F-bomb, all right? So just, um, you've been prepared. (laughs) Sounds like we need God's help. Let's pray together. Father, uh, your word is truth. And you've promised to lead us into all truth. Uh, Lord, we believe that you will make the scriptures plain to us as we seek them earnestly. We thank you that you've given us your spirit that guides us and illuminates the scriptures for us. So I pray this morning for great clarity and just for a purity of understanding. We pray these things in your dear son's name. Amen. So hopefully you've been with us the last three weeks. Uh, This is a three-week series looking at the gospel and giving. Our main aim in this is to talk about the gospel first and foremost, and then out of that uh, flows our understanding of um, what this giving thing is all about. And uh, giving can come in many forms, giving of our time, giving of our giftedness, um, but also giving of our money. And we have been focusing in these three weeks on the whole issue of money. And part, part of the reason for that is that we are a church that has always struggled financially. We're a church that has always shied away from talking too much about money because we don't want to be that kind of church. And the result has been often that we have not been really well taught when it comes to money. And we haven't honored the scriptures which make a big deal out of money and possessions and generosity, and stewardship. And so this is part of trying to um, put that right. So we've talked about in the first week grace and guilt when it comes to giving, that, uh, that all of our capacity to give generously comes as a gift of grace. Remember Paul talks about the gift of grace that was given to the Macedonian churches. Though they were in great um, poverty, they were able to give generously and that was a result of God's grace to them. And we also talked about guilt, how you know, when it comes to the issue of money we can feel great, great amount of guilt. Um, and that the gospel sets us free from that guilt and sets us free to be generous. Last week we talked about greed and how the the fact that every one of us, by our nature, is prone to greed. And so Jesus says, be on your guard. Watch out uh, for all kinds of greed. That greed can come in the form of the uh, the rich fool who just wants to build bigger, bigger barns and store more stuff and accumulate. And it can also be the kind of greed that makes us anxious and worried about tomorrow and what we're going to have and what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. And greed comes in many forms. We need to be on our watch. We need to be alert for all of those things. And to, so this morning we're going to talk about really the, the goal of giving. The, if you pardon the pun, what's the bottom line? When it comes to giving, what does it produce? What change does it affect? Why, at the, at the very bottom of it all, when we look at the central purpose for our giving, what's there? And so I'm going to talk about four different things that 
giving achieves. And uh, I think I got that on a, a slide up there. So giving. Giving produces righteousness. Giving enables generosity. Giving meets needs. And giving sparks worship. All right. And we're going to see all of those things in 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to 15. So let's jump into it, right? If you've got it in front of you, uh, then please read along with me. He starts out at verse 6. Remember this. You know that's important, right? He's emphasizing something here. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, if you're going to go through the pain and angst of watching the YouTube videos that I've been watching this past week, this is the verse, right? This is the verse. This is the verse that every scheming televangelist loves to quote, and only this verse, all right? You've got to narrow it right down. And so you can preach a message from verse 6 that, uh, I'll tell you exactly what one guy said, Todd someone, he was like, he said, all right, God wants you to sow, and it's always my ministry, right? It's not someone else's ministry. It's like, God wants you to sow into my ministry. And he was closing his eyes and being really pious, and he was like, all right, there's a businessman, and God wants you to sow half of your business into my ministry, and your business will flourish this year. And he said, there's a couple watching, and and God wants you to sow half of your house into my ministry, and God will give you a miracle house. Now, what, what God's people did with false prophets in the Old Testament was, all right, you can say God is saying this, but if it doesn't happen, we're going to kill you, right? And that was a very big disincentive. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. People get not killed, but rewarded as they... <laughs> getting angry. As they seek out and pursue the most vulnerable people. Now, here's the thing. Even if you just think about it logically, even if God has in mind a businessman to invest half of his money in this false prophet's ministry or half of their house. What about the other businessmen and other couples that are watching, right? Just think about it. God's got this couple in mind. These nine other couples do it and they fail on their mortgage because they gave it to this guy. It's charlatanism and it's huge. Like, you watch these videos and you're like, no one's going to fall for this, but... There's thousands of these guys making good money. I was at a church once. I visited. It was part of my degree, uh, theological degree. I had to go and visit a church and sort of write up a, a report on the worship service. It sounds really... It doesn't sound too good, actually. Um, but I deliberately went to a church that was different from my own background, and this happened in the service. They got a guy up the front and said, this guy's going to tell you his testimony. I was like, all right, going to hear about how this guy got saved by the Lord. This is, I love testimonies. And he was like, it wasn't a testimony about God's grace and salvation. It was a testimony about how he gave an amount of money to the church, and then a week later, a check came in the post anonymously for 10 times that amount. And, and, and it wasn't just implied, it was 
taught, you can have this too. And the verse they used was 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you don't give us much money, you won't get much money. But if you give us a lot of money, you'll get a lot of money. Ten times the amount, in fact. And then they passed around the, the plates, the buckets, but they didn't pass it around. Someone came around to every individual and stood there, right? And I was like, no, I just pass it on. I'm just visiting. And the girl was like insistent, like, no. So is that what this is saying? Is that what this is saying in this passage? Remember, passage. Remember, chapter. Remember, book. Remember, Bible, not verse. But is that what this is saying here? At the very least, it can't be standing over you with a bucket because of the very next verse. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not sending it round again, not standing over you, not shoving things down your throat, but in your own heart, of your own volition, not under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver, not a compelled giver, not a guilted giver, not a giver who's been sold a false bill of goods, but a cheerful giver. So at the very least, it's not about coercion, but verse 7 says God will supply Something, let's look at it, verse 7, each of you, uh, sorry, verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, underline that, you will abound in Ferraris. I got a different translation I got it off that televangelist, actually. It was was the televangelist translation. You'll abound in Ferraris. You'll abound in houses. You'll abound in business acumen. You'll abound in health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what I was being sold this week. That's what I was being sold. And it is a transaction. Even on one of them, though, like, if you... um, if you, make a, if you sow into our ministry, you will get a free prayer handkerchief that this man of God has touched or whatever, and it will heal diseases. Like, that's not free. If I have to give you something to get it, that's a transaction, right? And everything these, mostly men, some women, are doing is, it's commerce, it's transaction, there's no grace. So into my ministry and God will do miracles. One guy was big enough to say, well, you can't buy miracles, but, whenever you hear that, you can't buy miracles, but, you know he's just going to tell you you can buy miracles, all right? So you can't buy miracles, but when you sow into something that a man of God has got his hand on, then God will reward you. I very much doubt his self-assessment 
These are not men of God. They are messengers of Satan. And they don't have the first understanding of this passage. Let's read that verse again. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. That's what God wants to make you abundant in. Every good work. He wants to supply your what? Needs. If you were to write a list of your needs, the list wouldn't be very long. That's why the Macedonians are giving everything they've got, even though they've got nothing. Because they know their needs are very small. So God will supply your every need. This is something that Scripture says over and over and over again. God will provide for you. Jesus says, don't be anxious. God's got this. He's got you covered. And even if you don't have enough to make ends meet in the short term, you have a family around you, your church, whose needs are being met by God, who are called to give generously so that you will have enough. Whether it's by direct means or indirect means, God is going to supply your every need. And the point of it all is that you will be able to abound in every good work. This is about righteousness. Good works. Not good works that earn you favor, but good works that reflect the righteousness of Christ. God gives you money so that you can do good works. That's what Paul's saying. And as you give generously, God supplies every need you have in order to do those good works. Remember, these good works, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, are good works that he has set out before the foundation of the world. Before he created anything, he knew you, he knew that he was going to save you, and he knew and planned out for you the good works that you are to walk in. And in order to do those good works, God's going to supply your needs. It's about God from start to finish. It's not about the car that you want to drive or even about your good health. If you die at 22 from ovarian cancer, God knew that ahead of time. And he supplied all of your needs to do the good works that he called you to do up until 22 when you get to go home. You sow, and the harvest that you reap is a harvest of righteousness. It's a harvest of good works. He says, for example, check this guy out. He's from uh, Psalm 112. So verse 9, he says, As it is written in Psalm 112, They gave freely, scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. He's talking about a man or a group of people who stood out among the people of God as people who are wealthy that God had sort of prospered and provided for and their response to God's provision was to give it away, to share it, to give it to the poor. And he says that those acts of righteousness, those good works endure forever. That's the kind of harvest you want. A Ferrari will rust 
good works endure forever. Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Their good works, their righteousness endure forever. And just in case you didn't quite get it or you still wanted to twist the scriptures to line your own pockets, verse 11, he just makes it, uh, verse 10, he makes it all the more plain. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. That's sounding pretty good for the evangelist. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, not bank balance. Righteousness. If you have a greater desire for wealth than for righteousness, then you're not a Christian. Most of these guys, very evidently, aren't Christians. Giving produces righteousness. Giving enables good works. God will supply you with all you need to do the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. And those good works echo into eternity. Point number two, God, uh, sorry, giving enables generosity. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You'll be enriched so that you can be generous. You'll be enriched so that you will be generous. This completely undermines anyone who stands up at the front of church and says, God gave me this, now look at my house, look at my car, look at my clothes. You've missed the point completely. God may well have given you that money. Indeed, God gives you every cent that you have, but you've missed it. You've missed the opportunity. You've received your reward. Fast car, nice house, that is your reward. It's not eternal, it's temporal. The real reason God gave you that money was so that you could be generous to others. It cannot be any more plain than this. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. So that, so that, so that you can be generous. How generous? Sometimes, Christmas time maybe, birthdays. No, so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's a life of generosity. Not the big drive at church where we get you to pledge something. No, on every occasion. That's why God has made you incomparably wealthy. If you're sitting here today, you are in the top 5% of people in the world when it comes to wealth. And in terms of the history of the world, you are stratospherically more rich than anyone who's ever lived. 
And so if you understand, if you've been here and you've actually been listening and the Spirit has answered our prayers and you have come to the conclusion that everything you have is a gift of God and it's not because you put in the work this week and you're a self-made man. No, everything is a gift of grace. If you've come to that conclusion, then the next question out of your mind better be, why? Why? Why am I so rich? Someone asked that question last week. And like, as if it's a problem for God. Like, why do we have so much money when so many people in the world have nothing? If God is responsible for dishing everything out. That needs to be your question right now. Why am I rich? I say this so often to Renee. How do we have this much money? We just bought new couches for our house. I was like, this makes no sense. Most of our lives we've been pulling stuff off the side of the road, you know. We used to own this ute, and it was so good because we'd get new furniture every week, right? Just pulling stuff off the side of the road. It's hard to get those fluoro stickers off, but once you do... And then we bought these... New, the first time we bought new couches, and I was like, this is insane. This leather is so soft. How have we got this money? The answer is, God gave it to you. And the reason he gave it to you is not so that you can luxuriate in it. It's so that you can be generous to others. So the question we had to discuss was, how are these couches going to serve others? How are these couches going to worship Jesus? He will make everything abound. He will increase your harvest You will be enriched in every way so that, purpose clause, so that you can be generous on every single occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's the end game. How can you use your abundant wealth so that people praise God? So giving produces righteousness. It produces or enables generosity. And giving meets needs. This is the most obvious one. Verse 12. In fact, it's so obvious that he kind of skips over it quickly. He says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So he's saying, it's not just doing this, but it is doing this. It's meeting people's needs, very real needs. Remember, the context for these two chapters is the the Christians in Jerusalem. They were Jews. They've become Christians. They've been ostracized. They've had their businesses taken from them, their houses taken from them. Their their breadwinners have been thrown in jail. They are destitute. They've got nothing. And so Paul's appealing to the rich Christians in Corinth to supply the needs of the poor Christians in Jerusalem. He's saying, obviously, this is one of the outcomes of your giving. People's needs are being met. Remember, this is why the Macedonians were begging so much. They, they said, uh, he says in uh, chapter 8, um, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. It's the same word he uses here. It's the word for ministry. This is a ministry. 
This is a service. This is an act of servanthood. Supplying the needs of others. That's what giving does. Now in our context, and again I want to encourage you, be thinking about how you can supply the needs of people who are starving to death. Death, 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 right? People dying at that rate every day and every night for lack of food or clean water. There is plenty you can do to supply their needs out of your abundance. That's why God made you rich. In our local context here at the church, your giving supplies our needs so that we can do gospel ministry. Every bit of it. Some people are confused about this. There is no sugar daddy supplying our needs. There is not. God willing, in the near future, we're going to sign a lease for our vacant piece of land over here and that will provide a little bit more for us in terms of meeting our budget. But ultimately, everything comes from you guys. From your free, voluntary, sacrificial, cheerful giving. So it supplies our needs to do this and to do everything we do throughout the week. What I'd like to do is have more of our needs met so that we can do more than what we're doing. I've, I've got, a, and this is a vague vision, this is not an Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, all right? So don't pick up rocks at this point. But I've got a vague idea that I would love this, this hub, this middle of the town place to be able to be available for people who perhaps need counselling, Christian counselling, right? Something like that. Maybe they need some legal help. Maybe they need help with budgeting. Maybe they just need general benevolence. Like all of these things are kind of available to us if only we had the resources to fund them. Beyond that, what I'm seeing is that way houses being built like, I don't know, every second? Something like that. Apparently this area is the fastest growing in Australia. Something crazy like that. Right? And all of these places are being built without churches. I'm telling you, I told a guy earlier this week, this is one of the last developments in Melbourne where they planned a space for a church and we're the beneficiaries of that. That ain't happening anymore. So what I would love us to do is to be able to start putting money into a church planting fund so that we can plant churches from here to Adelaide because there's a handful of them at this point. That's going to require a lot of money and it's going to require us sending out a lot of people. But again, why has God made this church rich? So that we can be generous. Why has God made this church rich in people, good people like you, so that we can give you away? So, your giving supplies our needs in the short term for our basic bottom line gospel ministry and for greater things, God willing. So our giving produces righteousness. Our giving enables generosity. Our giving meets needs. And by the way, I really want to say this. Just just take a minute now to consider especially those of you who have been here for a couple of years or less, 
consider the fact that what you are able to enjoy as being part of this church, and I, I hope that you're able to enjoy a lot, that is the fruit of those who have gone before you, right? Ten years of this church, there's been a lot of people giving a lot of time, talent, treasure, and you are now the beneficiary of their giving. That's what he's saying, and we'll see this in a minute. Those who receive generous giving, praise God for those who have given it. That's what we should be doing this morning. In fact, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have raised up men and women over the past decade who have given and given and given generously their time, their gifts, their money, so that here this morning we can reap We can reap, we can benefit, we can be blessed. And I pray that in future generations, in a hundred years from now, there would be those who come to know and love Jesus because of the giving of these brothers and sisters here today. We want to see churches planted, we want to see people ministered to. We want to see heaven populated on account in some measure because of the giving of these brothers and sisters. I thank you for the privilege. Please give us that vision. Give us that passion. Your giving is an investment. That's what sowing is, right? Sowing a seed in the ground is an investment. You are banking on that seed, germinating and growing and giving you more than what you started with. But it's not so that your own bank balance can swell. This is how Graham Bainan says it. I've quoted him a bit. He's got a really good book. If you want to pick it up, it's from the Good Book Company. It's a British company and it's called Money Counts. This is from that. He says, giving is a profound act of trusting. I'm not giving money away. I'm sowing in the ground and trusting there will be a harvest. The harvest may include God ensuring I have enough in the bank so I can continue to be generous. It may be a harvest of righteousness in some other way, but as I give, I trust God will use my gift for his purposes. Nothing is wasted by God. trust. Not trust in me and not even trust in our church, though I want us to be trustworthy. I want us to be transparent. I abhor the, the whoring out. I think I've said enough about that. I want us to be trustworthy, but ultimately your trust is in God to take everything you give and to make it work for the sake of the gospel. Right, so let's just track back through one more time. Giving produces righteousness. Giving enables generosity. Giving meets needs. Finally, and most importantly, giving sparks worship. This is the purpose for which you were created. It's worship. And this is the purpose for which this church exists. Worship. 
This church, this gathering, these people, what I'm doing right now, everything we do is not mainly about ministry or mission. Those things are subservient to worship. Worship. Someone once said, mission exists because worship doesn't, right? That's why we go out with the gospel, because people aren't worshipping Jesus, and that's the ultimate goal. That's the highest calling in heaven, in eternity. There will be no more mission. It will be all worship. And the ultimate goal of your giving is not so that we can switch the lights on or even so that we can employ pastors to preach the gospel. It's not. The ultimate goal of your giving is worship. It's worship. That's why our mission statement reads like it does. People helping people make all of life all about Jesus. Why? Because that's what worship looks like. So I'm going to show you a little graphic here and I knocked it together at 11 o'clock last night and I'm hoping that this is good. I'm hoping that it's accurate. I'm hoping that it's true. You just pray as you look at it that it is. Here's what I'm seeing in this passage. The gospel-centred giving cycle. Not the me-centred, not the prosperity-centred, not even the ministry-centred, But the gospel-centered giving cycle is this. The indescribable gift of the gospel enables us to be generous in giving such that others will praise God for the indescribable gift of the gospel, which enables us... You get the point, right? It's a cycle. Why am I enabled to give generously? Because God has given me grace, ultimately in the Lord Jesus. That enables me to give generously and the result of that giving is that others will directly and indirectly give praise to God. For what? For my giving? No. For the gospel, which enables the giving. Paul says this really clearly. See if you can pick this out in verse 13 to 15. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, that's the giving, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks. Be to God for his indescribable gift. That's called doxology. There's a reason Paul finishes his letters with doxology. There's a reason he finishes the biggest passage about money in the New Testament with doxology. Because that's what it's about. It's about worship. Do you see that? That's the end game. He doesn't even mention the poor Christians in Jerusalem or in Macedonia, or even the Corinthians. His focus is on God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That is the gift of Jesus, the gift of grace, the gift of salvation. Why is he thanking God for that when he's talking about money? Because that's the only reason that anyone can be generous. 
It's the cycle. It starts with God, it flows through us, and it ends with God. It's a beautiful thing. It starts with God in giving grace, it flows through us in giving generously, and it ends with God in giving grace. I want to be a part of that. That is so much bigger than building projects or even ministry and mission. That is so much bigger than any of that stuff which will come and go. Worship endures forever. So in this series, we've looked at how our giving interacts with grace and guilt and greed and gladness, and we've looked at the ultimate goal of giving this morning. But the thing that I want echoing in your ears this morning is that this, this whole issue is, is so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than this church. It's so much bigger than ministry or our needs or our budget. Are you getting that? I really hope that that's what's been reverberating every week. This is about worship. This is about your heart. And because of that, worship is not about being compelled. It's not about being guilted. It's not even about knowing what each other is doing. It's about being aware of our propensity to hoard and to be greedy and to be twisting God's word to line our pockets. It's about being aware of all those things, the danger that exists there, that money itself is a root of all kinds of evil. And about being aware of that danger and then working for the redemption of money for the praise and glory and honor of the Lord Jesus, who supplies everything we need in order to do his will. That's good news. I'd like us now just to round out this uh, series. Um, I'd like us just to spend two or three minutes praying together. I hope that you've been talking about this and praying about it in your small groups. Um, We have been in ours and I think it's been really fruitful and I've been hearing about others who have been doing it and um, been encouraged by that. But we're going to make our own small groups now. And so you can gather together in groups of two to six, depending on how extroverted or introverted you are. Um, And uh, you don't have to contribute anything to it. If you're like me and this kind of thing freaks you out, don't worry about it. Someone else will talk. Um, But I want you to spend two or three minutes just praying, all right? Because here's the bottom line. All of this, For this to happen, for this vision of generosity to be a reality for us, it's going to need God's intervention. He's going to need to change us, change our hearts. So let me just say, I mentioned in the first week, when we did this last year, giving doubled for two months and then went down to below the original level. That's called behavior modification. That's called me doing a good job being a motivational speaker. That is not gospel ministry, or it's not gospel fruit. And what we want is long-lasting fruitfulness. And so I want you to pray for each other that God, even as we pray, God's Spirit will be changing our hearts. All right? 
Can we do that for a couple of minutes? And then I'll, um, I'll bring us back together.